Hi, I'm Jason Vay. Welcome to the Crusader Podcast, the show about the castles and crusades role-playing game. Aliyah Yakta S, the die is cast. I'm recording. I'm rec- I pressed the button that said record. We're not taping this, are you? <laughs> <laughs> it's the 12th episode of the Crusader Podcast. We've got some new hosts on the show. We've got a module to review, and we're excited to talk about it. So I'm Jesse, and here with me tonight I have somebody, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Carl. I am here as well. And I'm Liz. Boochie Boochies. DM Mike here. So hopefully um, everybody's excited about the new hosts we are. And first thing we want to do is get into the Rising Knight, which is an introductory module for Castles and Crusades. Is something that a lot of our listeners said that we should review and look into, and we did. We actually played the adventure together with one of our listeners, Epi. Epi, thanks for joining us on that adventure. It was super fun. Yeah. And so we got to experience it from a few different points of view. I was the castle keeper, and these guys got to play, and so did Epi. So just right off the top of your guys' heads, what did you think about the module? I thought it was a pretty straightforward adventure which is very good for an introductory piece to you know kind of ease people into role playing um i had (laughs) mike informs me that i had gone through the adventure before years back when it first came out i I had no (laughs) memory of it whatsoever (laughs) because it had been so long so it was going through it again was still a nice surprise for me and pieces that i thought you know, maybe seemed slightly familiar once I heard them, but the whole thing, I don't remember this at all. This is brand new. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was a little concerned that playing it since I'd run it a few times back in the early 2000s that I'd remember too much. Problem. I like remembered a couple of the NPCs, but we didn't spend just tons of time in Malfordon, so it didn't really apply pretty well uh it get it had a very keep on the borderlands feel to it actually yeah i got the feeling that malfortin was this kind of remote location that a party could use as a base investigations and explorations all in that area it definitely had a, a keep on the borderlands feeling to it from the castle keeper side there was a lot of similarities that i noticed right off the bat uh especially with npcs there's, I think one of the, the great things about The Rising Knight is it does have a really good cast of NPCs, and they're all detailed pretty well. And there's a lot of intrigue going on in this little town. Uh, we only mm-hmm. played it as a one-shot, so we didn't get to go deep into that, but it definitely has a, a Keep on the Borderlands feeling. And unlike Keep on the Borderlands, it gives you their names. <laughs> yeah, they're all, they are all Welsh. Why are they all Welsh? It's like That's I'm reading the directions through this. in Wales, Baldrick. You'll be washing phlegm out of your hair for a week. It's like, I don't know how to pronounce half these names. It's like I'm looking stuff up. It's like, how do you pronounce Guion? Guion? He's like, it's like, I don't know. I think it's a practical joke of Davis's on all of us. <laughs> I I had a, a kind of a new experience with this. This is the first time where I have played in a module 
and then gone back and read that module with the intention of running it myself. Uh, so uh, I have not read The Rising Night before. Uh, I, you know, obviously when you ran it, uh, I went through it, but then I read it afterwards, learned a little bit about it, and I ran also a kind of truncated version for my local game group here. Did it work on your end as opposed to when we played it? Well, my local game group are um, age 6 to 15. Uh, it's my homeschool game group. So uh, it worked well, but I definitely moved stuff around to kind of like uh, uh, keep the excitement going and kind of like just move things forward. So there was it was definitely a, a different take on it. Uh, it wasn't necessarily the module as writ. Um, just the idea of the Knoll inhabiting the evil uh, temple and the evil temple having its own purpose. Um, I kind of pulled in some uh, other elements from other places to that. So in, in this version, it wasn't a uh, diabolical figure. It wasn't a demonic figure that the temple was to. It was, full, it was to a fallen knight. Um, and I, it's just to kind of... Uh, I don't know why. Uh, uh, when I have when I have such a disparate age range and such a disparate uh, uh, group of people playing, I try to avoid demonic. Uh, uh, <laughs> Undead is fine, but I, but I avoid. Living, I divide a demonic. I avoid demonic uh, entities. Living in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. Well, having grown up in Mississippi during the satanic panic 80s i can certainly understand want the d words <laughs> carl's just playing second edition now <laughs> oh no <laughs> i see when tenari ah <laughs> uh, yeah yeah i think um i touched on the npcs and i think that's it's it's biggest strength it's also, I don't want to say it's its weakness, but I think it, it can be kind of difficult in the same way that Keep on the Borderlands at first can be difficult. If you truly are like a brand new DM or Castle Keeper, there's a lot of people here. And remembering who everybody is and what they want is kind of hard. Um, so if you're somebody that's coming right into role-playing through this... Um, it, it can be hard to keep track of all these people. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, Liz, but one of the NPCs there, the one-legged knight, uh-huh. when I ran you and Robert and Rita and all of them through it, I was escorting that knight there who was going to try to set up a small keep, and basically he was going to become the new lord of that land. So that's how I modified it to where you'd have more of a immediate connection to the area. That's cool. You still don't remember it, though. I really don't. I honestly do not. How much uh, gaming? This is this is just a testament to how much gaming you guys have done together. Where the oh one gosh. the one legged knight whose keep you helped establish doesn't ring a bell. Nope, not, <laughs> not a clue. in the slightest. And the thing is, not only have I apparently played through this with Mike, but. I've played through it multiple times, he says, <laughs> with different groups of players, and I still remember nothing. I barely remember Grit Snack at this point. <laughs> and I ran it with uh, classic D&D at one point, basic expert. It's I don't like, remember. 
<laughs> but it's a great module, right, Liz? It's great. Super. Um, <laughs> I mean, it really is a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, it's been 15 years ago. I do not remember doing this. <laughs> I think one thing um, that a lot of newer adventures have is an encounter that gets you right into it right away. For an introductory module, if they are truly assuming that it's your first time, right? If I was running it for a group of new characters and not as a one-shot, I probably would add something maybe on the road. Uh, there's a, a social encounter that you can do on the road, but it should have like a um, a written-up first encounter, though. Maybe to get the characters into it, if, if it really is their first time. Because I think it could be daunting if, if you're a brand-new castle keeper with some brand new character or some brand new players. Um, and I mean, you just show up in town, you know? Yeah. I, I think that might be a little bit difficult. Uh, it's funny you say that because, Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that that's uh similar to keep on the borderlands. I mean, you show up in town, nothing really happens before that. And well, that's uh, sorry. <laughs> I think I keep thinking you're done with your point. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited to talk about my thing. Go ahead. So, a big part of it is figuring out what's going on in town and, and finding the adventure and going out and, and discovering and digging up the Caves of Chaos and stuff and keep on the borderland and going to the dungeon in this one. But I think uh, for an introductory module, it might help to have some sort of combat encounter or something like that to start off. Okay, so here's what I was going to say. It's it's funny you say that because that's exactly what I do when I run Keep on the Borderlands. I have several encounters that you run into on the way to the keep. So I start you on the road, on the way to the keep, and those encounters kind of flavor the experience. You see people wounded coming back from the keep who uh, got severely wounded uh, uh, in the Caves of Chaos and had to uh, go back home. Um, and uh, you, you encounter thieves. And, you know, just, just to kind of give you a flavor of the area, I think you could do the same thing here where you... Um, kind of give this portent to what is going on through some small encounter that kind of gives you an idea that there's there's ill will happening in Malforten. Ideally, maybe one of Gritsnack's uh, goblin patrols. That way you, you, you get the players kind of invested in a mindset against mm-hmm. him and his goblins. You know, they already have a nasty encounter. Or, or maybe even... Maybe even uh, goblins fleeing Gritsnack that have been sp- thoroughly spooked out by this creepy knoll and has decided to defect. And so uh, they're booking it. Or, I mean, Gritsnack takes what he wants, right? So I think it'd be neat to have three or four goblins show up and simply demand the PCs some of their stuff or their equipment. Oh, that's you know? a good one. I like that. I like that one. And And they'll be arrogant about it because they've been getting their way around there. So, you know, right. Have the um, nerve to be surprised. <laughs> so, like I said before, we kind of ran through an accelerated version of this. We only got to play for one night. Uh, so you guys got to meet a couple of the NPCs. Um, what did you guys think about the NPCs? Did you like them? Did it seem like there was some depth to them in the short time that we had? I think so. I got the feeling that there was a lot more there if we had the time to, you know, investigate more. Especially like the rumor that there may be one or more farmers working against the town and 
with the goblins, you know, whether it's true or not, you know, it's, hey, is this something you could investigate? Carl, if I remember right, I think uh, your character, Elder Yon, did not like the de facto town leader, um, Errol. It's true. I didn't trust Errol. Like Errol Lotus? <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's such a nice guy. <laughs> no, Errol Lotus. Yeah. Errol Lotus He's great. fine. I've never met Errol Lotus. But this Errol <laughs> didn't care for him. Uh, you know, I kind of I kind of really jumped into this and now reading it, I, I see it's not there, uh, into this idea that he was somehow in on the whole thing. Like if I had had this whole headcanon where Errol was was uh, uh, siphoning funds or something or doing something something really bad with Gritsnack, but Well, he seemed so suspicious and you know, upset that we were there and doing something, you know, when we were playing through it and trying to convince us that there wasn't anything wrong in the town. It's like, well, if you're looking for excitement, you're not going to find it here. You should move on. It's like, really, we know for a fact that there's a a null extorting all of you guys. Why are you trying to tell us nothing's going on? So I could see why we would have thought that, you know, maybe he was a little shady. Mm-hmm. Again, that was probably what part of what Jesse was doing. You know, it's, is there a traitor? If there is, who is it? Right. Well, and that's the thing is, is Errol suspects there is a traitor. And so his kind of like closed mouthness on it made me suspect him as a traitor, which I didn't even know like that was part of his story. Uh, so, <laughs> so it was just like I, he was projecting. And so I, I just soaked it all up. Might have been an interesting addendum to have in here where. It may have been too much work for it, but to give like a page, some of the major NPCs and say, if you want to play it, that X is the traitor. <laughs> this is why. If you want Y to be the traitor, this is why. And that would give it some replay value. Yeah, if I was starting a, a campaign or something with this, I would probably make index cards of the NPCs because you would get to know them more, obviously playing it for sure, an yeah. extended amount of time. So, Errol... I think comes off as pretty shady, obviously, to begin with, uh, just based off his description. But I think if you got to know him more, you you might find out that he's honestly doing the best he can, I guess. Uh, And, you know, maybe also find out he acts that way because he didn't want to let himself actually hope that you could do something. Starts to see, oh, you are able to do something. Well, maybe I'll be a little friendlier now. (laughs) Mike, you touched on the rumors. Um, I'm a sucker for rumors. Like, if there's a rumor table in any module, that's the first. Yes. When I'm flipping through, I skip right to it, and that, and honestly, that's like I'm so stoked to have people roll for rumors, especially on a D12. That's right. If you can use a D12 and a rumor table at the same time, <laughs> it's the ultimate rumor table. And on top of that, when people get stuck on a false rumor, that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, especially if you can make it sound like something that's really, really plausible, then the a lot of times players won't let it go. Yeah. And it's great. There's something to be said about a rumor table where one of the options is, What? What you asking me for? I don't care about no grit snack. I got me potatoes to get. Now get! Get out to the drum bearer there, there and go up to the get that good snack. He's in some old temple or shit. I got no knowing. 
True. <laughs> That's fantastic. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. He, in fact, he got no know. knowing. <laughs> That's right. Does not know. That is true. <laughs> I, I think a lot of Davis came out in that, though. Uh, when I read that one, I, I yeah. read it in his voice. <laughs> I've got a rotten feeling about this, boys. <laughs> I like the rumor table. Um, I don't know about so much now, but I know when I wrote my adventures with Trollord Games, um, it was kind of a style that any adventure module, half of it should be the setting, hmm. the nearby wood, whatever. And the other half is the quote-unquote dungeon or castle or adventure locale. I think when you have things split like that, you're going to have some pretty detailed NPCs and in-town scenarios. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that's a good strength because, you know, slogging through dungeons is super fun, and I love doing that. But the town stuff and the intrigue stuff is just as fun. You know, and if you have some people that can't show up to finish a dungeon, you can always do intrigue in town. Yeah, and especially if you're going to use Malfortin in your campaign as an outpost, a party of players, you know, uses as their base of operations, then it's definitely a good thing to have the surrounding area detailed out at least a little bit. I see a lot of it. <laughs> so what works so well here is that it's essentially at its at its root it's the it's the most generic quest there is you know it's like goblin raiders there's a town uh the goblins have a boss you go and take out the boss and you're the big old winners and then what it does is introduce complications on top of that to kind of have that real solid understandable relatable traditional route and uh, just kind of morph it a little bit here and there where there's interactions you can do on top of that with the townspeople, with the fairies, with the dungeon itself that change it up a little bit, even though still at the root of it, it is a very familiar dungeon. Speaking of the area around the town, I, I was very gratified, despite all the Welsh names, <laughs> of the geographical locations are just descriptive. The craggy hills, mm -hmm. low hills, you know, stuff like that. And like, I so like that. I hate the the Zalbugaladian wood and the Zimbalavabal river. And they're like, what? You're just throwing, you got a Scrabble game. You're just throwing consonants around. Stop <laughs> it. Right. Because so they did that with the names. So since you've got the weird <laughs> names already, it's like we're going to have some straightforward place names instead. Yeah. But I do like, speaking of characters, there's one that's mentioned in one of the locations, uh, the Rope and Barrel, the trading store run by Walker the Shrub, old hmm. man with a large unkempt beard. It's like he was named after his beard. His beard probably looks like a giant shrub that needs trimming. You know, I just see this guy with a big, <laughs> scraggly, ZZ top beard. <laughs> I wish we'd have more time to play this because some of the, the outline encounter areas are really cool. And it, they'd be really nice to break up the, instead of like, oh, we find out in town what's going on. So then we go to the dungeon and kill everything in the dungeon. These other little side stops would have been 
really neat to explore, and I think there's a lot to them. The CK can expand that those into something even larger if they want to. You know, it's more of a idea seed than you know just a railroad is. But a lot of adventures nowadays do seem to be that way, which I get exasperated with and make my DM's life a living hell. But you know, that's what players are for. So you know, I'm just trying to help. Chase appreciates you. I know. I know he does. I feel it. I feel the appreciation. <laughs> well, this is something I've, I've harped on before. I think good module writing is characters and environments, and bad module writing is story points and plot elements. I think if you give me the environments and the characters and what they are and are not willing to do, then the story can flow freely, and I am not beholden to try to get it to a point for it to work the way the module is quote unquote supposed to work. When I just have a list like this where I know where everything is, I know how the dungeon functions, I know what the villain wants and what the people in the town want. I I can imagine any number of different stories uh, just coming out of this thing. Uh, You know, and and if, if it had a narrative you had to follow, like a lot of, Modules are written uh, uh, today and, I mean, even in the past somewhere. Uh, but if it had that, then you would you would be stuck kind of like referencing back and wondering, okay, well, what is what is uh, er- Errol supposed to be doing at this moment? Because if I don't have Errol doing what he's supposed to be doing, then I'm not following the module's narrative arc. And to me, that's not what I want from a module. That kind of the iconic part of that is the... The adventurers have to do X with Y, or the adventure will not progress. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, <laughs> there should be plenty of ways the adventure progress, or it'll progress whether the players go there or not. Things are going to keep right. happening. Right. You can. You could never go to this abandoned temple, and eventually Gritsnack's going to come to you, uh, and you're going to have to deal with the situation anyway. Right. Like that's just right. something that could happen. And it'll be a lot worse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a town <laughs> raid is a lot worse. <laughs> That's what you get for spending two weeks at the tavern drinking beer, you know? It's like, well, okay. The beer's not even that good there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention. I liked the number of empty rooms. Yes. I mean, they even say, you know, rooms with encounters are numbered. Other rooms are empty. It's empty. Mm-hmm. And that's something. doesn't have a number on it, you know, it's, there's nothing there. Or you can put your own stuff there if you really feel there has to be something, but, you know. Which only makes sense, but a lot of dungeons, it's like, I guess it's people, you know, writers are trying to give as much value to their readers as possible. Being something weird and unusual in every single room. Mm-hmm. I think that's just implausible. Well, there's also something to be said about the sense of space and sense of suspense and dread that a couple of empty rooms can generate. And it also can maybe uh, relax people a little bit on all of their P's and Q's. And so you, you sit up and you and you have your rogue where they need to be and you have your fighters by the sides and you have your wizard in the back and you're ready to go and you creak open the door and you've already checked it for traps and you've done everything you're supposed to do and it's an empty room and you go, oh, well... <laughs> And you go to the next door, and you're like, well, I guess we walk in. Oh, that's not, this one ain't empty, guys. <laughs> uh, it's an apparently empty room. <laughs> Love doing that. 
You don't notice anything. Yeah. Yeah. To mention, it also gives them a place to take a brief break if they need to. Mm -hmm. They're getting chased by goblins through the place or something. I gotta admit, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm not a big fan of empty rooms. Really? Yeah. Maybe maybe if there's one or or two, but as a player, I get bored with empty rooms. I Uh. so I I see both sides of it. I gotta admit, when I flipped through this, uh, seeing the dungeon, I I was instantly kind of groaned because of all the hallways and stuff, and Mm -hmm. all the empty rooms. But the the kicker is is that it really fits in with this adventure, all those empty rooms and the tunnels, because there's a reason why. I mean, I guess the reason that those things are empty and all those tunnels and stuff is because the dungeon itself is also manipulating you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For all you know, because the dungeon is manipulating you, it may just very well be it's pushing you towards places where there isn't anything to make you feel like this is totally deserted. That's a good take. That's a way of doing it. Also, um, here's a question. Do you require or have you played? How often did your DM require you to map? When I first started, when I was a kid, we mapped. But I like mapping, Um, but I don't like to be the one to map. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I understand. Um, there, There is a school of old school gaming that insists that quote unquote part of the game mm-hmm. and that if they get screw up their map well that's on them you know that's part of the game and such yeah i understand yeah. it i appreciate it i don't entirely subscribe to it i'm also pretty big theater of the mind i don't use a lot of minis or or battle mats mm-hmm. or anything like that so in a big complicated dungeon um it is kind of hard because it's like Okay, you mm-hmm. go through the door, and, and there's a 60-foot passageway. And on the right, 20 feet from that is a door. And on the left, 30 feet from that is a door. And there's a door at the end. And, you know, like, it, it can get pretty confusing if someone isn't mapping. Or They're going, wait, which door is where now? Right. <laughs> Did we come from the west door? It's like, no, you came from the south door. Like, are you sure? <laughs> then the the GM or the CK is having to describe everything in detail and everything, which then begs the question, you know, if the GM is correcting all your errors, why are you mapping to begin with? Just mapping and get on with things. See, I really like the idea of, of mapping. And, um, the thing is, uh, I don't do it that often because I use miniatures and I have the dungeon out in front of people to see. So, um, because I use miniatures so often, it doesn't come up. Um, but in games I've played at conventions or otherwise where there has been a mapper and we have mapped the dungeon and kept track of it, it's always been a really interesting part of the game for me. My only caveat would be to that is that at least when it comes to really old 80s-type modules, that it encouraged adventure writers to put in base. That's there solely to screw up mappers <laughs> is the eternal hallway that you're walking down the hallway and there's a teleport point that teleports you 50 feet backwards. <laughs> so you just keep walking down this hallway that goes on and on and on and on forever until you turn around and then walk back and then suddenly you're back where you started immediately. Mm-hmm just there to mess with mappers there's no other reason for that on the other hand 
that can that can tell you that something weird is going on though or goes on forever and ever and ever and it runs off the page of your map and it goes on and 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 on you know eventually you're going to realize something is not right here an optimist yeah that is a that is a rabbit hole <laughs> trap for any player group they would spend the next two hours trying to get down that hallway just because you told them they can't yeah. <laughs> I throw a rock Stify. down it. I walk backwards I close my eyes I crawl <laughs> I I spider climb on the ceiling. I you know I mean it would just be <laughs> yeah one attempt after I, another. <laughs> we all tie ropes to ourselves and walk down the hall backwards while roped. <laughs> but yeah, back to the to the module. Like the occasional empty room there. I, I don't agree with Jim Ward's theory of like for every ten rooms, nine of them should be empty. That seems to be a bit much. Whoa, that's excessive. <laughs> yeah, but you know. You know 50 60 40 you know i'm good with that now what i i would say again in defense of empty rooms uh what you can do is put something interesting to discover there so like take any of those empty rooms and you could put uh, a piece of torn uh, parchment that has some writing on there that kind of gives you more information for the dungeon it also allows if the dungeon is just beating up your players their roles are bad the monsters roles are good i mean you can you can put a chest with a healing potion in any of those rooms and just let them let them catch a break for a second, you know. <laughs> just or find kind of... the body of a dead adventurer who died before <laughs> he could drink his healing potion. Yeah. But it's there in his belt. Yeah, got, that sort of thing. He was halfway through. He got a little backwash. You get 1d4. Uh, <laughs> ew. It's elf backwash, so it's superior to any other <laughs> races backwash ever. Again, ew. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are too nice. <laughs> as soon as the first fight starts, I'm having the whole dungeon come out and swarming everything. Because <laughs> they never hear like the swords and cries of agony and everything like that. I think that's the first time I've been told I was too nice a CK. That's you. <laughs> well, I've never played. Liz never says game, that so. to me. There's that. <laughs> Liz never says that. <laughs> oh well. Usually, if I'm in a game that you're running. The one that gets the worst of everybody at the table. Well, I have to, because there's always that stereotype of, oh, your wife's, you're the GM, and that's your wife. You're you're going to go easy on her. So I have to actually go twice as bad on her just to invalidate that. <laughs> See, you shouldn't be such a slave to what other people think, Mike. <laughs> I'm a victim of society. <laughs> One thing we've just briefly mentioned and haven't touched on a lot is the presence of elves and fairy in this uh, module, which I think is super interesting. It's one of those things that's just um, twisted a little bit away from being that kind of generic, there's goblins raiding us, go kill the goblins for us type of scenario. It's definitely set in aired, mm -hmm. you know, the CNC campaign world. Um, so there is that big play on elves and fairy and that sort of thing. Which I like. I, I mean, I kind of hate on elves in generic fantasy worlds anyway. And to have them... It's okay. Of, everyone does. I, I can't stand them. <laughs> They're almost as bad as gnomes. But... Ooh. But yeah, take, almost. Almost. You might, you might have to take that out, Carl. I'm going to get... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might here. love elves. 
I think this is great. And I love this kind of elf where they are alien and strange and of the forest and not kind of like humans with pointy ears. Nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I still play dwarves. Maybe that'll give me some street cred. (laughs) Speaking of elves, one of the places that you can, you know, possibly go to, they've got the ruins of that ancient elvish watchtower. The one exception to the Scrabble letter named location. <laughs> the Kuthrad Andal. In- <laughs> oh. Well, that's a goblin name for it, but oh, yeah. it's it's kind of weird it being there because it doesn't seem to have kind of real hook to it. It's just there. It was built as a prophetic device. You know, only after the fall of the one who raised it did its prophetic magic become apparent. And then it never tells you what exactly that prophetic magic is. Well, there's a blue light. An elf sticks their hand in the light. They get a goodie. And it's like, well, do. What's it for? And they never say. (laughs) And you have a a Stevie Nicks song playing in the background. (laughs) But I think it's it's. Cool, because if you are playing this as a campaign, I mean, people are going to latch onto that pretty fast, I think. That's It'll drive players there. nuts, because they'll wander around there trying to figure out what's going on with there, and... No, There's won't. nothing. There's and nothing. Then, yeah. I think one thing about it that's neat is it's kind of that... Uh, the, the Tolkien thing, where you see the remnants of an ancient society every once in a while, so it kind of uh, gives you an idea of the history of the world uh, without necessarily... Uh, delving too deep into it. Have those ruins of a bygone age to go adventure in. To loot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to go in a new dungeon. Nobody goes in a new dungeon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's got that new dungeon smell to it. And... Uh, still under warranty. Uh, and they haven't really put the loot in yet. And, <laughs> uh... I like that it's it does give a little bit about aired, but it's not overwhelming either. Uh, you can you can file the serial numbers off it pretty easy. Oh yeah, and and I've never really been a published campaign guy. I've been running my adventures in the same world forever. Ah, so to just move it right over is super easy. You could run this yes. in any any world. Or later, everybody makes their own campaign world. Mm-hmm. Except Carl. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have made uh, uh, thousands of my own campaign world, usually right then and there while playing. <laughs> what is that world? Ahos? <laughs> There's Ahos. Yeah, see, I gave it Ahos. That's yes. mine. And then Handwavia is what I usually call it. We game in the world of Handwavia, where I go, uh, it's over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, kind of like my cities where everything's two blocks down, one block over. <laughs> yeah. It's needed. Well, where are you going? Well, it's two blocks down, one block over. I, I rarely will... one block down, two blocks over. But yeah, I I will I will uh I do this often where I'll just tell one of my players to give me a tree and another person to give me like a color, and it's like, oh yeah, it's Blue Oak, the city of Blue Oak. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we're going. <laughs> Be honest, you know, there's gobs of villages, towns, and. Thorps in Britain. Mm-hmm. 
Chav names just like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so why not? Or, you know, take it, change it to another language. And now it's, you know. Yeah. I, I did the same thing uh, uh, recently with a Thieves Guild. And I was like, give me a color and give me an animal. <laughs> this Thieves Guild <laughs> is the Purple Panthers. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like a football team, you know. going down the road with a big kettle drum and <laughs> little little school spirit flags. <laughs> yeah. Some half elf cheerleaders. Yeah, yeah. That's good work. Rising night. <laughs> there's a there's a, a module we're talking about called Rising Night. Um <laughs> Random encounter tables. It's got solid random encounter tables. That's a pet peeve of mine in a lot of adventure modules. The random encounters are too random, I guess. Like uh, <laughs> 20 things that are not very well related. Uh, Davis does a good job, I think, of building his random encounters based off the terrain and, and the area that the characters are in. Uh, Fortin, you encounter an aquatic giant spider. What? Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, and Where there's it, no like you're you're fighting goblins and kobolds and stuff, but there's a red dragon or something on the encounter table. <laughs> Although that's very old school. <laughs> it is. But yeah, I, I will have one grouse about the random encounter tables though. Uh oh. Um the one in Bailey and Nacht, anyway. There are only three named gnolls in the place. Very specific individuals. Yet one of their encounters you can have is Noel, okay. Mm-hmm. It's even on there twice. There's there was one to two Noel and a wolf, and uh, uh, one to four goblins and Noel. So I mean, you could randomly encounter all three ah. of them, <laughs> right? And then what? There there were actually six Noels there. Hmm. If you don't roll them, do they just not exist? You see what I mean? You know, I he he was sure to do that with the dryad. This is a case of Schrodinger's Noel. <laughs> Maybe I've been doing uh, random encounters wrong my whole life then, because I just assumed those would be one or two other gnolls, part of the war band, or yeah. But I you don't... see what I mean? If you don't yeah. roll them, they don't they exist. Don't... I'm okay with that. Like Carl was saying, the Schrodinger's gnolls. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think there's two ways to kind of of read a random encounter table is. It comes from the main group, and so if you're encountering them randomly, they don't pop into existence. You got to pull them from the main group, and I think that's why so many old school dungeons had like there's 50 goblins in this room. Well, because a lot of them are actually <laughs> walking around the dungeon. Um, so expected to trim them down as right. the random encounters are made. Uh, got Steading of the Hill Giant Chief, mm-hmm. perfect mm-hmm. example of that. Um, but. I think if there's specifically three gnolls that you encounter in this, I think it's it kind of makes it feel like those three are special, and then there's non-special gnolls, uh, but now it makes those three feel less special because now there's a whole group of... There's infinite gnolls, really, that could be in I, this place. I don't have a problem with, you know, as far as the goblins or the kobolds, because you've got, like you said, a pile of those... Yeah, with these, it's like, well, but kind of, eh. I would throw, like, some sort of ore paint on them or something that's different than the gnolls <laughs> that are here and, and just make them, like, ambassadors for an, another gnoll, whatever you call a herd of gnolls. I don't know what a herd of gnolls would be, a pack? 
so yeah, I mean, it, it's a matter of mindset. Um, that particularly bugs me, bug you. I know a lot of people it does bug. You know, <laughs> it's a pet peeve of mine. Just. It doesn't. It doesn't really bug me either. <laughs> I was just trying to find common ground. <laughs> I don't actually Liz. call. Liz. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I tuned out on your null argument. <laughs> okay, I think that that gives her opinion then. Yeah, I, Liz. How do you feel about random nulls? <laughs> I think it's some for some and others for others. Uh, <laughs> six, You're all wrong. Six, six nulls is equal to half a dozen nulls of the other, all that kind of stuff. That's I understand right. and respect all your arguments. You're all wrong. <laughs> if you're going to have more than the quote-unquote three nulls, and in the end, what difference does it make? <laughs> <laughs> These Just are the, say they're, say they're yeah. from a competing tribe and they're trying to horn in on what Gritsnack's got. Yeah. I mean, if, the, if you feel that strongly about it. Got lost because of the crazy map, so they're just wandering around yeah. trying to you, find their way out. Actually, that could work. They, they're, <laughs> they, they're, they can't find their way out because the map is scurry and the <laughs> with them, so they're just wandering around. You have your regular gnolls and your VIGs. <laughs> Very important knolls. Vigs. <laughs> wow. They got a special name tag. Oh, a little old school history here. Does everyone know where knolls came from originally? <laughs> were a, in a, in original D and D, they were a half breed between gnomes and trolls. Yep. Making I, that up. Gnomes and what? Trolls. Trolls. Got long noses. So they find each other attractive or something, but <laughs> gnome yeah, half troll? What? <laughs> and that's kept, I think. Uh, uh, no, it's not. <laughs> I was gonna say. I, I was gonna say. I think that was kept in um, Holmes Basic, but I don't think it is. I think they read. I don't think play. it is either. I think yeah. so. I. I think it was uniquely original. Continue. I don't know why. <laughs> why did that idea catch on? <laughs> so this may get left on the editing floor, but I just, <laughs> I just went back to check. And I don't think Noel is even in Holmes Basic. Weird. Weird. They're not in there. No, no. How did I not Eric's know that? <laughs> Holmes's choice or Gary's? I have no clue. I'll have to ask Zach. <laughs> Liz, something else we can ask Chris Holmes. Why are there no gnolls? The only reference to them is that there's a creature that fights as a gnoll. I'm but looking you don't get right the gnoll. No, no. <laughs> I am looking right now, and there is a gnoll in Holmes Basic on page 27. I don't have it in this version. I'm I'm on page twenty seven. I have no null. Yeah, I I got a null. Weird. We chi <laughs> giant ant, giant centipede, giant rats, giant tick. Mine goes straight to gnome. Okay. Interesting. I, I, I okay, we're go grab mine. Oh goodness, we're rabbit holing like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I have the third edition. <laughs> basic. All right, all right. Holmes Basic Edition Wars now. 
Maybe they took it out in a later one or something, or they put it in in a later one. Yeah, I bet it got put in. I bet I'm looking at an early, early edition. Uh, goodness. I'm going to grab one of my other books. I have, I have a couple. I have to know. This is so interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at a lizard logo right now. So I'm looking uh, yeah. at the first edition. Yeah, I've got the, I, I've got the, the little wizard dude. Oh. Elves ha- can speak, Noel. Yeah, that's true. Weird. So I guess they <laughs> just realized there's so many references to Noel that had to get put back in there. A person works on a Noel. They are strong but dislike work. Which explains why Gritsnack is trying to extort stuff from people because he doesn't want to work yeah. for it. <laughs> Just give it to me. All right. Very interesting. Mine's a third edition as well. Jesse's going, can we get back to the show? I think Jesse has left. <laughs> no, he's here. <laughs> here. <laughs> I had to run. Sorry. Jesse I do has have left a the building. I have a Noel on page 27. I don't. Which, which edition do you have? Uh, third it's edition. Got, it's got chits in the back. That's uh, probably third. The ISBN chits two. Does that matter? Should be after the yeah, copyright. It, it having an ISBN oh. uh, matters. The first yeah. one I don't believe has it. Oh yeah, third remember. edition, December seventy nine. Peppers. It's all you third edition players. Us first ed players. Holmes edition Holmes wars. Edition wars. Yes. <laughs> have to bring this up on save or die. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I don't think I've ever heard anything like that before. Oh, that, that, that I had not quite noticed that. It was like, huh. Anyway. Anyway, uh, and Crusades. There's I guess it kind of works for the random encounters only being a D6 because, you know, you got the walls shifting thing going on. In a way, that's kind of a random encounter all by itself. Mm-hmm. How many things are going to be living in this temple anyway? You got kobolds, you got goblins, you got gnolls. Dogs, I think, too. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, that bummed me out, those dogs. I didn't uh, want the dogs to be bad guys. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I get so much crap for those damn dogs. And sh- <laughs> As you should. Is that, is that why you killed the dog when we played? Because <laughs> he, he's a dog killer. So there are some things we're not talking about because of spoilers, uh, but I do want to talk about just this one little line. Uh, uh, ending the adventure. Adventures never end. Just adventurers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true. <laughs> But it talks about cruelly, how to, cruelly true. Uh, it talks about how to connect this to a bigger world, and one of the things it mentions is moving into other modules such as Blacktooth Ridge, uh, and it talks a little bit about Kuthred uh, Andal, uh, and will the characters discover the secret of this place? Have they met Nefretel, who is a uh, Elamazu in the in the tower? Uh, so it's. Uh, it mentions that a little bit, and so it talks about how to expand it into the wider world of Aired, uh, which I think is kind of useful uh, just for you know ideas and where to go from if they do set up as uh, Malfort and as their camp. That is a, an interesting place to look at. And I think in the there's a old library that you can encounter with you know a whole bunch of you know old papers some of them partially burned some of them not 
Um, if we you encountered that, didn't we? Enough time, you can find, you know, a map, and it can, you know, act as an adventure hook to lead you into the Blacktooth Ridge. You know, the other A series. Mm. See, I like that because if you got Blacktooth Ridge, if you don't, as Castle Keeper, you can just ignore it. Yeah, and you can make the map anything you want and just lead them into, you know, whatever you've got made up for the next adventure. There's one thing I will mention. Um, again, trying not to be spoilery, but there's a certain circumstance. It is a lot harder to resolve if you do not have a ranger. And that bugs me a little because sure as shooting, you're going to end up with a party without a ranger. Yeah, y'all so, know what I'm talking about? Yep. So the question becomes, do you modify the adventure for lack of a type of player? And if you do, does that de-incentivize taking those characters? If you know the Castle Keeper is going to uh, just allow you to find the thing without a ranger or whatever the case may be, uh, does it then make it kind of pointless to take that option and uh, make those choices less uh, interesting when you're creating a character? But if you don't... Then, like I said earlier, (laughs) you end up derailing everything, potentially. And you're going to have to, you know, lead them there anyway. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it, it is a hard question because it's then people, if you do that too much, then there's no incentive to have Mm -hmm. a balanced party. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing us because this is worthy of a whole other show, but <laughs> I still want to hear what you guys have to say. <laughs> I, I would Entire say party or bards lost for a good long time, and then do whatever alteration you're going to make to eventually get them there, mm. and then they'll know. It's like, well, gosh, if we'd had a ranger, we would have found this place a week ago. And <laughs> Right, that's a very good... And and eat bugs. (laughs) Because we couldn't even find our way back to town. (laughs) I I think you just solved it for me. I think just making it a a penalization of time uh, or noise, right? Like, that's kind of the two big ones, is thieves can get stuff done quietly that other people may be able to do, and you may have to allow them to do to make the adventure move on, but it's going to be loud if a fighter has to do it compared to a thief. Um, and the uh, uh, the same thing for Ranger. You just kind of penalize them on time. Then have the Ranger show up and go, man, you guys really need a Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know you've been walking in a circle the past three days? <laughs> this force isn't even that big. <laughs> What's wrong with you? How'd you know we've been wandering that long? I've been following you. (laughs) (laughs) You just been hazed. You guys are hilarious. (laughs) I'm kind of feeling sorry for you now, so come on. (laughs) Yeah, come on. I I hate to admit it, but I've never ran this module or really read it all the way through because it was an introductory module. Hmm. I always started with Blacktooth Ridge or Keep on the Borderlands or something that I made up myself. And I wish I would have read it sooner because I did like running it. Don't write it off just because it's an introductory module. It's It's got a lot more there to offer. There's some good meat on that bone there, too. On the whole, you know, like I said at the beginning, I also feel this is a very solid and, for the most part, straightforward adventure. 
I do think that there are some places, particularly in the initial background, it suffers a little from purple prose to my taste, cut down the background text by at least a paragraph's worth worth a paragraph's worth of words given all of the same information. Um, so it gets a little too flowery for me. You know, I'm reading this and I'm going, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> but you've got you've got good bones to it. You've got a good set of NPCs. You know, some of them are helpful, some of them aren't helpful. Some of them really just want you to please take their cousin away with you because they are so sick and tired of them living with them. <laughs> you know, it's it's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, you could even ignoring the adventure, if you just want needed a, a town for your party to, you know, encounter while on the road just from point A to point B and you need a one quick, this could work. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean it's it's got everything you need, you know, as far as getting a getting a new party involved and in playing and giving them a quest and getting it done. Hopefully, I almost my experience with this. I guess I should have mentioned this uh, at the top of the show, but I'll do it for my closing thoughts instead. I almost ran this in like I don't know 2009 uh, for Courtney, my wife, um, because. Um, I was just getting back into role-playing games and I was looking for modules to run. And I didn't run a lot of modules growing up playing. Um, and uh, uh, I picked this one out because it was the introductory modules. Getting back into them after a little bit of a break. And I had Castle Crusades. I really liked the system. And I didn't run it, I think, because I didn't have Knoll miniatures. I think I didn't have any Knolls. So... <laughs> so I was like, I can't run this. I don't know why I didn't think like I could change that to a Hobgoblin. It would it really affect anything but i didn't i was just like oh Knowles don't have any of those what a weird reason not to run it uh so i i had a kind of a base idea that there was Knowles in a town when we played it the other day uh and and seeing how much more there actually is going on uh really kind of made me think of this as a really fun module to run and i'll probably run this at some point for my game group yeah it's uh... It, it is pretty sweet all around. Is it available for purchase? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at a drive through right now. It's nine ninety nine watermarked PDF. You can get it for $7 currently on sale. Well, it was real fun playing with you guys when we ran through Rising Night. And it was fun reviewing it, too. Happy again. Thanks for playing with us. And we'll see you on the next episode. Night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Hey, York. Some games may change. But the castle's Crusade Siege engine remains the same. I was standing at the Safer Half desk at North Texas, and Epi came up to me, and I know he listens to the podcast, uh, and he says, love the podcast, to me, to my face, and I have so many, 
so many levels of imposter syndrome that I was assuming he was talking about Save for Half, not about any podcast I was on. So I think I said, like, yeah, me too. Like, which is not a cool response. <laughs> I am also a fan of my work. <laughs> I believe my podcast is the greatest. So, so I, I, I'm I, pretty sure he knew what you meant. I explained to him after. No, I explained to him afterwards because, uh, like, I thought you were talking about safe for half. <laughs> <laughs>